Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mirror man, mirror man. You twist and turn my mind until I don't know who I am. Mirror man. Good morning and welcome to a new edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. There's no Johnny today. There's no Matt Candela today. But I've got Jessinho. I can't call you Jessinho. I know it's your Twitter name. We've got Jessinho uh, from, uh, from She Knows Arsenal. Um, an awesome YouTube channel. I was on there last week. Um, so nice. Jess is going to be standing in today. I'm very excited uh, because you have a much better tactical understanding of what's going on the pitch than I do. So I can give some heavy emotion and then you can tell me what's actually going on. Jess, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I listen to the show all the time. I think like you guys are hilarious. I don't know what it is. It's like the combination of all of you guys together is like perfection. So I'm happy to be here. I will give you, but see, I have emotions too. Like I can do emotional you're gonna, talk. You're going to bring well some emotions today? Talk. Yeah. Good. So I'm going to bring some emotions as well. I got you. I'm looking forward to it. Um, if you, if you haven't uh, seen uh, Jess's show, tune, tune into it. Where can we find your show? Yeah, you guys just go to YouTube and type in the search She Knows Arsenal and I'll pop up. You'll see all my stuff there. And what I love about Jess's show is um, there, there are a few people in this world that are like, oh, I'm, I'm too big to talk about transfer speculation. Like, I'm not one of them. I'm an addict and I get my I get a lot of my kicks from watching your show because you you are there. When a rumor comes out, there's a, there's oh, yeah. a show there Come ready on. to go. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm on it. I love a rumor. I love a rumor. I love it. I love to get stuck in. There are some people that are like, I'm not even getting into it until the person has the shirt, you know, and is on Arsenal.com. But like, where's the fun in that? Boring. Where's the fun in that? Boring. There's no fun in that. So, yeah, if you guys want some transfer speculation, I get into it. You guys can, you know, come to She Knows Arsenal. We have all that for you. Well, um, we... We've had a good day. I was a little bit worried that we were going to have to sit here and talk about how we got absolutely shithoused by Fulham at home uh, for the first time in, in, our, uh, in our history. Um, but we don't. We, instead, we've got um, a really interesting show because um, there were some problems heading um, out of last season. You know, we were not very good against the deep block. Um, sometimes uh, a high press would cause us problems. I'm thinking back to that Newcastle game and we saw what Fulham did to Liverpool earlier on in the season. And when we go a goal down, we are not very good at coming back. I think we only came back from a goal down once last season. And that was um, the Wolves game that I was at. So there's a, there's a lot to crack into. Uh, Jess, yeah. there's a little tradition we like to do on this show. And it's called the AOP, Hottest of Takes. Jess, I'm going to you for the Hottest of Takes today. Yeah, so my hottest of hottest takes is that there's a lot of narratives that were put right in the ground today. This was a day for breaking narratives, killing narratives, putting them right in the dirt, and we will be putting them to rest from here on out. Not only did we do the can't come from behind narrative, 
that's gone. Uh, we also have the can't do this physical game. We can put that away. The Odegaard doesn't show up in games of adversity. We can put that away as well. Uh, we can't play without our best 11. You can put that away as well. We beat all those narratives today. And I know that over a period of time, that has to become something that becomes a pattern. But going into this game, there was a lot of trepidation and reluctancy. Like It was like, okay, is this going to all fall apart? We don't have Thomas Partey. We don't have Zinchenko. What is this going to be like? But this was this didn't look anything like the Arsenal that I saw last season, that when they want to go down, like they didn't have anything. And it wasn't even just like Fulham didn't score a good goal like it was a huge mistake from Gabrielle that could have easily been the end. Like we could have easily folded up. And so I think this is a day for killing narratives a day for, okay, this is a different arsenal team. And if you weren't sure before you should be sure now, because those first three games may have seemed easy, but they weren't. And this one definitely wasn't easy either, but we really battled through that barrier. And I was seeing, personality from players that I've never seen before. There was so much personality out on the pitch today from Saliba to Gabrielle being kind of like the guy that messed it up to the guy that came back. Odegaard stepping up in a big game. Eddie and Kedia, the perfect super sub at the perfect moment. Mikel Arteta making changes early, not leaving it too late. There was a lot of personality there that I didn't see last season and learned from mistakes, beat narratives and won the game. And yeah, that's my hottest of hottest take. Oh, that is absolutely sizzling. Absolutely sizzling. Narrative killer. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, difficult to difficult to riff off that, but um, I I I I would say my hottest take uh, because I agree with all of that, and that would have been where I'd go. But I would say the fans in the stadium believed, and I don't think we would have believed that we could come back from that last season. It didn't feel like. Um, it didn't feel like that was going to be one of those games at any point. I was like, uh, you know, we're playing well. Heads haven't dropped. The intensity hasn't dropped. But I felt, uh, you know, sometimes in the stadium, you can hear the groans coming through the TV. There was none of that today. The fans were like, we're going to turn this over. Um, and I think that that helped the players. So I'm leaning heavy into the character side of things. I thought Martin Erdegaard played like a, a proper captain today just relentless. He was at his absolute best. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. After that Newcastle game, there were questions. He doesn't like playing in games where there's a, a heavy press or it doesn't look perfect for him. But some of the passing was immense. His work rate is always uh, up there. But character came through with players like Ben White as well. And not that I, I don't think Ben White has um, character, but I thought he was relentless today. I thought he looked like the best right back at the club. Um, some of his... Some yeah. of his on the ball in the attack in third was uh, was was outrageous. It was great to see Eddie come on um, and, and put in a shift. And uh, yeah, and Gabrielle, listen, Gabrielle and Ramsdale have been kind of jostling for the the Lord of Chaos mantle uh, that Mares mm-hmm. took away with him to Marseille, uh, and it was a shocking error. But on t- on TV, watching it in NBC, they were like, he'll want to get on the score sheet now, and he did, mm-hmm. and. He made a couple of errors. He does scare me a little bit, but he didn't let his head drop. Uh, and he got on the end of, uh, of a burnt Leno spill. And that would be the final part of my hottest take. I do not miss burnt Leno. Great shot stopper. But did, did, that not, did that goal not give you shades of Brentford last season? Oh, man. I was like, Leno Howler, Leno Howler. Like, I was dying because I was like, this is exactly it. Because the entire game, the, the commentary where I am, was talking about how he was stopping everything and look what he's doing and this and that. I was like, just wait, just wait. And he spilled the ball. And I was like, this is exactly like Leno's a great goalkeeper, but he's not perfect. And I do think over the last couple of maybe months or so when Ramsdale hasn't been at the the best of form, there's been a little bit of a narrative shift or a little bit of recency bias around Leno that he never made mistakes and Ramsdale is the guy that makes mistakes and he's not Leno's not great on the ball he makes mistakes as well and he did the, did that for that goal and I think Gabrielle and Saliba did a good job you know being physical against him because I also don't think Leno is a great physical goalkeeper like when he's bumped around I do think he can be a little bit lightweight and so we were the beneficiary of that but yeah I was I was in here definitely like throwing shade at Leno sorry but you're on the other team now buddy yeah. i love you but he, even is- some of the saves getting you know like he palmed a few of them back into to danger he got he got away with it but you can see the mm. difference in quality he's going to be a great keeper for them this season i doubt he'll get bombarded yeah. the, the way that he was today but um 
glad that he was on the receiving end of a of, a, of an L today because it's yep. it's quite it's it feels almost traditional that our ex goalkeepers come back and have worldies against us. But um, yeah. nice to be on the on, on the end of a whim. So let's just move into our first topic of the day. Um, the big comeback. Jess, I, I I was saying last week that you're always looking for a game that's that that, that is a stake in the ground in a season. You know, a moment that shows uh, re- resilience, shows something a little bit different from what you've seen before. And I was mm. I, I was looking towards the Man United game. You know, Man United uh, have not been good. Uh, you know, they got away with it today uh, a little bit. They got to play a, a really really bad Liverpool side. I was looking to the Man United game because it's like when Arsenal were on form, we're the gift to Man United. I didn't expect it to come against Fulham. But I have been thinking over the last few days, in a weird way, it would be quite nice for us to go a goal down. Because like, has has anything really changed? Uh, and we did go a goal down. Talk me through what you think a comeback like this means to the project this year. You, you're either really thinking about it or you've... Uh... Oh, here you are. Did you hear that question, Jess? Go ahead. What was the question? Sorry, I the spruced que- a little the, bit. The, que- the question was, what What does a win, what does a comeback like that mean to the project, considering how bad we were going to goal down last season? Oh, I think it's massive. I think it's definitely like there's things that I do think can traumatize a team that I think have been traumatized by things that have happened that they couldn't get over. And, oh, I think I froze again. Am I freezing? No, I can hear you. Am I freezing? You, your your Am face I freezing? is freezing a bit, but I can Guys, hear you. Guys, let me know. Am I freezing? Yeah, we can. I can hear you, but I can't see you. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to weigh in on my own question. What does this mean? Uh, what does this mean for the Arsenal project? I think uh, I, I think it's a statement. I think it will give us confidence. I think if you're a, if you're a, an, an Arsenal player uh, going into the rest of the season now, you know that there's resilience in the team. You know that everybody's got your back. You know the fans uh, are going to be with you. I think that this could be a bit of a, a statement moment because each game we're learning something new about the players. And what we what we were unsure about is do we have the tools in the locker? Uh, to be able to deal with a deep block? Um, do we have the concentration uh, and uh, like, do we have the character to manage the emotion of that moment? Look, it, you can say it's only Fulham, but that's a team that is unbeaten uh, in the league this season. That's a team that gave Liverpool all sorts of problems. I mean, we played far better against them and got far more out of them um, than Liverpool did. So to go, uh, to go a goal down, and to claw your way back with a, I mean, the Martin Erdegaard goal was extremely scrappy, um, and there were there were plenty of opportunities for heads to drop in the second half. It felt like nothing was going to go our way. Our corners weren't accurate. Um, I felt at times um, some of our shooting was a little bit off. It just felt like it was going to be um, one of those days for Arsenal, and it wasn't. It wasn't. And uh, like those those are the special moments that you're going to remember, you know, and they're also they're, those are sort of games that kind of smack you back to earth traditionally over the last five, 10 years of Arsenal. Like, get you know, you, you're, you're really working hard. Um, oh, here's Jess. She's sorry, back. I'm, back. I'm back. I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know what happened to the Internet. Can you see me and hear me now? We, we've got you now. We've got you now. Um, okay, I should be so I was now. just rambling to myself, answering my own question. But the question <laughs> to you was, um, going a goal down has been a problem all season. Uh, well, for, for the last two years, we're not very good at coming back. We're, we're mm-hmm. bad against deep blocks. Um, do, what do you think a result like that means for the project overall or are we just going to fall back on it's only Fulham no I don't think you can say it's only Fulham though because at the beginning of seasons we have a preconceived notion of who teams are and so I do think that there's like a level of like Fulham is just a team that's coming up and they're you know going to go straight back down but they're a team that's unbeaten or they were unbeaten before they played us so we can't really be sitting here like it's just Fulham every single game is difficult in this league we've seen that so it's not about it just being Fulham but I do think that 
with this team, like you don't want them to be traumatized by things that have happened to them in the past. So not being able to come back from behind, you know, going up against teams that are physical, hard away grounds. And I think that getting over those things as a group gives them the type of courage and confidence and muscle memory to like do it again and again and again. So if we go down a goal against Manchester United, they'll be able to refer back to that, you know, and use that. And so I think it's important not to get traumatized by your past. And, you know, Gabrielle has made mistakes in the past. He has, but he was able to come back and still have a good game after that. So I think it's just a matter of learning from the mistakes and not letting them hold you back. And so I think this is huge because it's a young team. So they're learning now. And things that they learn at the moment, I think, could be kind of detrimental or really good to them in the future. So that's kind of where I am with that. I think beating Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park was a big one. And then now coming back from behind is another one that they can take into bigger games and use. Do you um, do you think the, the, the talk of the title uh, is going to increase... After a performance like that, are we, uh, we Arsenal fans are incredible at getting way too carried away. There was talk of title pushes last week, and it's back. Do you think? Do you think we could? Do you think we could even be in in contention for it come December, based on the form you've seen so far, or are we way too early to be talking about that sort of crazy talk? I go by what the what the players are saying. Fans will say whatever. You know, we were in 20th last season and people were talking about getting relegated. So I don't really want to listen to the fans on this. Right. (laughs) But, you know, the 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 players are saying it's too early. You know, the players are saying it's too early. You know, we shouldn't even be looking at the table, blah, blah, blah. I've heard Zinchenko say that. I've heard Odegaard as well as Jesus say that. So I think I think that they have their feet firmly on the ground. Even Arteta, he said we haven't done anything yet. He knows what a title winning season looks like. And so I think he'll keep our feet on the ground. In terms of what I think, I think we should believe we're in it until we're not. Because as far as I'm concerned, I'm seeing a lot of inconsistent performances from every single team in this league. I haven't seen any team except for us, you know, be able to string together four wins. So we're in it until we're not. And the reason why I'm saying that is just to keep morale up you know, to keep the fans up, you know, we should be positive, you know, if we don't make it, we don't make it. But, you know, I think we're in it until we're not. And we don't have to be arrogant with it. But we don't know what's going to happen this season. This feels like a weird season. I don't know if you feel the same way. But this doesn't feel like a regular season like it's been over the last three or four seasons where it's just been Liverpool and Man City fighting it out. And the rest of us are looking for scraps. It doesn't feel like that to me. So Although I want to keep our, I want us to remain humble. I also think we should be optimistic and hopeful because like that is like the the bedrock of being a fan, right? Is having hope at the beginning of every single season. It's what could happen. And so until it's not a possibility, I'm just going to say we're in it until we're not, you know, that's where I'm at. I love that mindset. I, I, lo- I love that mindset. And you, you, you're right. There is a weird, there, there is a bit of a weird vibe about this season. You know, it's, um, it's like, some clubs are stepping out of line. Crystal Palace scoring two goals against Manchester City. What's going on? Like mm-hmm. bullying, uh, bullying everybody that goes their way. Brighton look unbelievable this season. Leeds look like they could take points off anybody. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be as. Uh, I, I, I'm what I'm hoping that we can get out of this season. You know, I, I don't think we're going to win the title. I don't think we will be pushing for top two this season. But I'd like us to be able to close the gap on the top two. Like I don't want it to be. Liverpool and Manchester City, 25 points ahead again. So if yeah. we can start to close that gap um, with a team this young, it, it's, it's all up from there. Um, right, let's move on to um, our, our next topic. There was a little bit of fear in the system this morning. Thomas mm. Partey and Zinchenko, two of our best players, um, that th- basically both play in midfield most of the game. Um, they were not in contention. It sounded like it was precautionary versus um a reaction to a, a bad injury yeah um, they were out of the team Jess what did you think about how we handled it um and do we do we have suitable backup or are we still in trouble this is a tough one because you know when I originally saw like the leaks of Thomas Partey not playing today I did instantly get that gut feeling of like oh here we go again 
you know, I do think that there's a separate conversation to be had around his availability is three games in and he's already unavailable. And that's a, that's not good. You know, he, he needs to be able to be fit longer, even if it's precautionary, but you know, it, it also comes in twos and threes. You know, it seems like when we get injuries, it's not just one player, it's more than one. So I was worried. I was very worried. I'm not going to lie because I do feel like that's a lot of our buildup and our press resistance, you know, in midfield with those two and Elneny and Tierney, although I, I think Tierney is starting quality and Elneny is a good deputy. It's not the same, you know, so I did worry about it a lot. And I do think Tierney had a tough game. I think he had a tough game. I'm not going to lie, but he's coming back into it. So I think we did okay overall because our game really wasn't built around building through Elneny or building through Tierney. We did different things and built through the sides and tried to get up the pitch and jack up. I have to say, Odegaard will get a lot of the plaudits today, and he should because he was man of the match. He was the he was the difference maker. But Shaka was really good at getting us up the pitch. He was in between the lines. He was on the on the touch line. He was switching positions here and there to try to be somewhat of a midfield for us because we didn't have one. So I think we did a good job minimizing that that blow of not having those two players. But do I think that? all is good. No, because I think that against better teams, if that was what we were doing, we'd struggle. But equally, we still created enough chances where we should have been at least 2-0 up at halftime. So I think we did much better than what we did last season, which we really struggled when anybody was out. Like if anybody was out, we struggled. But I still see some flaws, you know, that need to be streamlined a little bit. I mean, what did you think about it? Were you worried at all? Because there was a lot of people that felt like it was almost like an overreaction to be worried about it because we have such great players now in depth. How did you feel about it? The, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel as concerned about uh, Kieran Tierney coming in. You know, this is a, this is a kid that was our best player um, for the last two or three seasons. He's been integral. I was, I was a little bit worried about um, Mo Nenny coming in. And it's weird because the, the, you can tell the standards have shifted because yeah. You know, I'll just bring up the the stats from the game here. Um, like twenty two shots, eight on target, seventy three percent possession, eighty six percent pass completion. Momo Neni's getting a lot of criticism for hiding and and how he played, but those numbers do not speak to a team that struggled in midfield. But football isn't about what is in your screen grab of the match stats. It's about what you see with your eyes. And our, our game is different. And Mobile Nini does not offer us the verticality Thomas Party offers. And it's, it's a lot of people are saying that Arteta did that to sort of show the Cronkies that this could be what happens to us if Thomas Party gets injured. So open up those purse strings and get us a, a midfielder. But I think we're in a bit of a problem with midfield because uh, Moel Nini is the only real backup that we've got for Thomas Party. I don't right. even think the midfielders that we're being linked to really can can cover off what he does. You know, it feels yeah. like we're going for a long-term replacement for Granit Xhaka uh, in Tielemans versus someone that can pivot the midfield like Thomas Partey. So even if we do open the purse strings, I, I wonder. But maybe we just have to settle on the reality. You're not going to find someone that can do Thomas Partey things that wants to sit on the bench and play mm -hmm. 1,200 minutes a season. So yeah. maybe maybe that's the gamble. Yeah, I do think that we, I think we made a, a conscious decision early on in the window not to address that position through the market. You know, it, it's, it, to me, it was very clear that we weren't going to get a number six because we re-signed El Nenny. So I've kind of put it on the back burner. And so for me, it's more about just keeping my nerves in check every time he's, he's absent more than being upset about it because I just feel like Arsenal have different priorities. Now, will it come back to bite us in, in the future? Potentially. But, you know, at the moment, if this is how we deal with it and the other players kind of pick up the slack, then I think we'll be all right. It's just a matter of how many players are out at the same time. You can, what what you do you can... think is behind that, though? What do you think is behind? Do you think the Thomas Partey thing is the, are they considering Patino 
as a potential uh, stopgap or, or a potential player that could come into first team contention last season. It just seems like our whole season collapsed on Thomas Partey last season. And we just ignored it. Yeah, I think that a lot of it is because Thomas Partey was our only link from defense to attack. Everything we did flowed through him and then to Odegaard and then to Saka. We were a one lane highway to attack in that way. Now we're not so much that because we're starting to attack up the left as well. And what Zinchenko does that so well is he takes some of that ball progression off of Thomas Partey's back. So it's not as it's not as big of a burden because I don't even think Thomas Partey has played amazingly this season so far. But we haven't noticed it because Zinchenko is doing such a good job and we're putting our chances away. So it's just, if Zinchenko had been there today, we wouldn't have noticed it at all because we would have had somebody else in there. It's just a matter of both of them. But in terms of like Arsenal addressing it, the types of players that can do what Thomas Partey do are very expensive. They're not cheap. You know, it's not easy to find somebody like people go, well, why didn't we get Basuma for 25 million? Basuma can't do that. I'm sorry. No, no not that. comparable. No. Yeah, no. it's it's not even similar like at all. But then when you look at two players that we've been lightly linked to um in Sandro Tonali and Moises Caicedo, those two players can do it, but you're not getting them for 25 million. You're spending 60 million on those players maybe. So I think it's it's a long-term thing that we're probably looking at. I think it'll get addressed next summer, but in this this period we just have to figure out a way to survive it and as long as we put our chances away and we're able to create chances around Thomas Partey and not have to flow through them all the time we're fine you know I think we're do you, fine do you think mm -hmm. do you think that uh, maybe it was uh, maybe the problem today was that Zinchenko and Partey were injured if Partey gets injured moving forward do you think there is it might be a consideration that Zinchenko could play that pivot role See, I, like, I personally think that, like, you could do everything exactly the way that you did it today, but just play Zinchenko at left back. I think it's fine the way that oh, is. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, because El Elneny, like, he wasn't touching the ball much at all. And we were pretty much fine because Ben White was doing a lot of the, um, a lot of the passing out of the back and Zinchenko would have still been there. I think we're, what kind of hurt us a little bit is we just didn't have another player that was going to sit kind of in the center circle and dictate play because Xhaka was jumping all over the place. So for me, if Zinchenko was fit, I would have just played everybody in their same positions and just let Elneny play the six. And I think would have been just fine. Um, I'm not sure about Zinchenko as like a number six or anything like that, because the level of physicality in midfield can be a little daunting. We saw that with, with Sambi. Um, you can have all the technical skill in the world, but if they know that they can smash you, you're done. And I think of a midfield sure. of Odegaard and Zinchenko and Xhaka, and I'm not really seeing enough robustness there. So it's something to look at, but I think we handled it really well, considering we've never had a Thomas Party absence that didn't result in drop performances and or losses right off the back of it. And we won the game. So I think we've we've made a step forward there. It's interesting as well because if we had drawn that game or we'd lost it, everybody would have gone. It was a, it was a Moel Nenny issue. It, you know, it, it, it there would have been a backlash. Yeah, now... Moel Nenny wasn't a problem today. I do think that like had we had finished the like, I mean, Saka had a chance in the first half. I think if we if he buries that, the game is pretty much done from there. You know, so I think we created enough opportunities. We we our buildup was not an issue today. You know, my issue with El Nenny is usually he stops our buildup because he passes backwards and sideways and he won't he won't be adventurous with his passing. But we bypassed him. So it couldn't have been a Mo El Nenny issue. It just wasn't. You know, it was just more like a, it was a little bit different. It wasn't exactly the same. It wasn't as dynamic or vertical as we when Thomas Partey's in there. He passes it forward all the time. So, yeah, I think it's more of a were we clinical enough or our wingers doing enough? Like, I think that's more the conversation rather than. Did El Nenny do something? Because he really he didn't even touch the ball. Really, he was fine. I thought. Yeah, least of our worries. And you yeah. have to remember, fifty-five million for a backup is not where Arsenal are at the moment. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to uh, a topic that you flagged in your hottest take. Uh, Martin Erdegaard put on an absolute 
masterclass today. Um, talk me through uh, what you loved about Martin Odegaard's game. Did you think it was a masterclass? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, when Odegaard is at his best, this is the type of game that we see from him. Lots of touches, um, lots of little nice slip balls. He, you know, he got the ball to Saka quite a bit. He got the ball to um, Gabriel Jesus a couple of times. Like he just was very slick and smooth on the ball. And it was from minute one. It was from minute one. I mean, he turned it up a lot more in the second half because he needed to because we were behind. But in the first half, you could kind of already see that he was in his groove. He was very instrumental and influential in everything that we were doing in terms of our attack. And so I thought Odegaard, he always runs hard, you know, and I know that people are like, well, it's not a track meet. So why do you care? But it was the very thing that used to get on our nerves about Ozil was that as good as he was on the ball, he didn't do any of the work rate stuff. At a bare minimum for Odegaard, whether he's good on the ball or not, you're going to get crazy work rate. So you had that from him. You had the on the ball stuff where he was smooth. He was slick. It was even like his little cross field balls over to Martinelli that were so, 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 so good. And so I thought he's he's not always the assist, which I think is what gets people uh, make people frustrated because his GNA is not always amazing, but he's always kind of instrumental in the goal because of the space that he opens up and the little opening passes that he makes to create the chances. And I thought he was really good in that today. He was excellent in that. And he scores the goal that gets us the equalizer. And I just thought because we don't have Zinchenko on the other side, doing a lot of the influential stuff in midfield there, Odegaard had to bear a lot of that burden today. And he did it very, very well. He didn't go missing. There were times where he got bumped off of the ball, but that's natural for him because he's not very, he's not, he's, he's kind of like a smaller player, but I thought he was just phenomenal today. And I love Odegaard to death. Like I know he's not a yelly shouty captain, but you don't always need to be that to be the captain. I think him and, and Xhaka do just such a good job you know, leading the team. And so for me, it was a really good game for him. And it was another uh, narrative game for him, you know, that he's not just going to go missing in big games. He can score goals in difficult situations, which he's already done before. I don't know why people were acting like it didn't happen. And um, yeah, Odegaard was phenomenal today. Yeah, I said on um, I said on your show in the week that I think that he gets a bit of a, he's it's, he has to work a little bit harder uh, to get praise because I feel like people think that he's had a bit of a privileged upbringing in football. He's gone to Madrid. He's been playing with the fancy players and now he's slumming yeah. it with Arsenal and everyone's like, he's, and, and he looks like a nice boy. You know, yeah. he looks like a, a kid that's grown up with a silver spoon in his mouth. I thought today he was absolutely fantastic. Um, it was a gritty performance from him. He's so hardworking. He's absolutely relentless. Um, you know, the, 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 the tip of our press um, most of the time, but I thought his passing was great from uh, from deep. He was all over the place, and he was relentless, driving the players forward. You know, I, I can't remember which minute it was, but he was the team were playing really well, and he was continuing to demand more. I think the when he starts adding a little bit more um, of an, an instinctive strike to his game, like he he's, he he takes a little bit, you know, like half a second too long to make a decision yeah. on whether to shoot. He didn't do that last week um, when he scored, but I think it when he when he gets a little bit more of a striker's instinct in front of goal, it, yeah, he gets in so many good positions. He should really be that sort of Cesc Fabregas, ten goals, ten plus assists a season. And I I, I agree with the point that he's he's taken on a bit of the uh, the uh, a sister of the assister type role yeah. in the team and because it's there's not hard numbers against him people don't under people tend to people on the internet tend to just look at spreadsheets um and statistics and they don't they don't give you the full context the eye test tells you that he is one of our most productive players but sometimes he doesn't have that final ball yeah and he's so he's so fun to watch because he has so much like it's it's not really like unnecessary flair, but he does such nice, intricate things on the ball. And I think some people take for granted like how tight those spaces are for him to move in and how well he does. And a lot of teams would love to have an Odegaard in their team. And he's still growing and he's still maturing. But I mean, even I saw in the comments that people were talking about the little scoop pass, the little chip ball that he put in for Enkedia. You know, the, that that little stuff that he does, I'm just like, 
there was a time where we didn't have that in our team. I'm never taking it for granted again. There was a time we had like no creativity. So I love Odegaard. I think he had a great game and this is a good foundation for him to build upon because there's going to be games in the future where we're playing against the big teams where we're against it and we need him to stand up and have the same level of performance because we need personality when we're playing against the big teams, right? And it's not always going to go the way that we expect it to. So yeah, I thought Odegaard was so good and setting the benchmark high there because there's a lot of people that were like bring Vieira in get Vieira in he's going to take Odegaard's spot and I'm like I think you know he's setting the the standards very high that if ESR and Vieira want to take his spot they're going to have to do a lot yeah I love having competition in the system though I love having competition yeah. in the system but um, more than anything I agree with the people in the comments that are saying that has the poison chalice of the captain's armband um, been banished um, I'm feeling I'm feeling like we've made this is the best captain's decision we've made in a long time. Jess has dropped out again, so Pedro is going to have to go solo and talk about himself in the third person. Um, so I think uh, oh Jess is coming back in. She is. <laughs> I was trying to look at the chat and see what you what they were saying, and I clicked the leave button. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. But, it's um... good to have you back in the mixer. Yeah. Um, let's let's uh, let, let's talk about a controversial. Um, element of the game. I flagged this on the podcast uh, last week with Johnny and Matt. Ben White, an absolutely sensational performance from Ben White today. I thought he was brilliant. I thought, you know, his game at right back seems to just get better and better. I didn't realize the pace that he had, but also he's very good um, on the ball uh, in like 1v1 duels. Uh, what did you think about this Ben White performance? And are we in a situation where Mikel Arteta has a selection headache on his hand because Tommy Asu is fit, he's still sitting on the bench, and Ben White is not letting go of that position? What do you think? Yeah, I think we spoke about this the other day that, like, with Ben White, one of the things that I like about I like about him the most is that it feels like you know Saliba came came straight in and start started games, and he didn't let that ruffle his feathers at all he stepped in to the right back position and said, you know what, I'm going to make this my own. He could have easily sulked or, you know, we've seen players in the past, like not be happy with being dropped or, you know, whatever. And he wasn't dropped per se, but Saliba came straight in and he had to learn a new position. And I think, you know, in games where he's had difficult one-on-one scenarios, like against Zaha, he's done really well. And then there's been kind of like a call for him to do a little bit more in the attack. And I don't think he's ever going to be a Bellerin. He's never going to be a sprinter up the right-hand side, overlapping every 10 seconds. But what he's adding to his game is a little bit of that, some of the overlaps, the underlaps. And then his the, because, like you said, he's such a good player on the ball, he's so good for us to have in that final, in that final third. And so for me, like Ben White has been relatively flawless this season so far. He's done absolutely nothing to lose this spot. I think we're seeing second, second year Ben White. We saw second year Gabrielle that was much better than first year Gabrielle. We're seeing second year Ben White and in a different position as well, which I think really suits him, especially with the way that our system is set up. So for me, Ben White was probably beyond behind Odegaard for man of the match. But I mean, he was just so, so good. And this is nothing less than what I expect from Ben White, because I do think that he's not received in a great way from some of the fan base because of the Saliba situation, but he's been good. He's been good. You know, he's been good, you know? So I I love Ben and I thought he can go home tonight and say, you know what? I smashed it today. I didn't really get beat. I know there was one time where he just shrugged Mitrovic off the, off of a cross. Like he just kind of used his body. And I was like, he's such an intelligent defender and a lot of people get caught up in like tackles and stuff like that. They're like, well, if you're not tackling, you're not defending. But because he's such a good front footed defender and he's always at the right place and he can intercept it, he doesn't really seem like he has to break a sweat. And I think that's why people don't think he's a good defender, but it's because he's so intelligent. And I love like the little off the ball stuff that he does because he doesn't get pushed around. Ben White is, I think he's first three names on the team sheet for Mikel Arteta. Cause he's so such you're a not bringing Tommy Asu back in. No, like, here's my thing is that if you lose your spot because you can't be available, that's, that's too bad. You know, you have to work your way back into the team. 
Arteta said before this game that Emil Smith Rowe needs to work his way back into the team and earn a spot back. And so I think that's 100% right. There's some players in this team that by no fault of their own have been unavailable because they, they haven't been able to maintain their fitness. So this is an opportunity for them to get some rest and make sure that they're 100% before they come back in. But they may just have to wait until cup matches. That just might be what it is. You know, and they have to use those opportunities well. So I love Tommy. And Tommy, for me, is a better, probably a better defensive right back than Ben White. But there's just no way that he gets the spot back just because he's he's Tommy Asu. I can't see it. It's interesting that both the fullbacks that got injured and, you know, cost us, cost us top four. You know, you're not can't blame them for getting injuries but yeah both, both of them are uh both of them are defenders first and foremost like Kieran Tierney is a defender and so is Tommy Asu Sinchenko and Ben White for me are more midfielders you know yeah like I know Ben White is a is a really good center back but they have uh they have, Zinchenko and Ben White have great defensive attributes great midfield attributes and great final third attributes so to have to have that on the left and the right, uh, you know, I was I was a little bit worried that that would give a bit of an imbalance. You know, Manchester City have a a more attacking fullback and a more defensive one, but it seems to be working out really well. But I, I love I love that now, uh, you know, talk talk of narratives, we're not overly reliant on anyone um, yeah. at the moment because somebody can come in and give you something different. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Tomiyasu handles it. I mean. He's supposed to be one of the hardest working players um, at the club. So I'm sure that he's looking at what Ben White's offering and working out whether he can bring a bit of that to his game. But it's, yeah. um, it's we'll a good see what their mentality there. is about. You know, I think good Very players true, yeah. look at this as like competition, you know, and they're like excited about it. Like I think Martinelli relished having ESR as his competition last season, you know, because he has that type of mentality. And to be an Arsenal player, you have to love the co- competition. Because that's the type of team that we should have. So I do think that like Tomiyasu will rise to the occasion. I think Tierney will as well. I think he has the type of mentality. And um, yeah, this is a new level for Arsenal. And I'm excited to see how it works out. Great. Okay, let's move on to a a conversation that's about a player not being part of the conversation. Uh, Will Saliba, the Saliba Ultras, they tune in specifically to hear what the hottest takes are on William Saliba. My hottest take today is that William Saliba was not part of the conversation in the best possible way. Um, what did yeah. you think about William Saliba's uh, game today? And is the fact that we're not talking about him, does that show that this this player is the real deal, that he can just do his job, get on with it, and he doesn't have to be the centre of attention? Yeah, I think in some games, it's just better not to hear about defenders because that means that you probably did a good job. And I think Saliba actually had an insane game um, defensively and on the ball. And I thought we saw more of Saliba's range of passing today than we've seen in the past. I think in the first couple of games, you you just saw him kind of getting his feet wet, making sure that his com- pass completion was nice, making sure he kept things ticking along, not trying to be too, too um, inventive, not trying to do too much. Today, we saw more balls in between the lines to Gabriel Jesus. You saw more balls in between the lines to Martinelli. And what you also saw is those big switches into the corners. You saw a lot more long-bridge passing today, especially – when we were really pushing for a goal. What you also saw is that he can defend in a two back there alone with Gabrielle and look relatively unfazed. And where Gabrielle has the, bla- the the brain fart in the box, you know, Saliba, I thought, had more of that calmness and that booted out in certain scenarios, you know, get it away from the goal. And so I think they complement each other well, but Saliba definitely had like a 10 out of 10 game for me, but didn't make the headlines because he didn't have to, you know, because he didn't do it. He didn't. I can't wait to rewatch this game and just kind of watch him on the ball. Cause we saw that next level of Saliba, which I think he's going to be world-class. Like I know a lot of people think he's world-class now. I think he has a little ways for that. He's world-class. Like he's going to be. And like just watching the way that he deals with things versus maybe the way that Gabrielle deals with things. You can tell that there's a difference there. And yeah, Saliba, I thought was insane today. You know, didn't have to talk about him. Great on the ball. I loved it. Hope the ultras uh, like that. 
I think that I, I think Johnny's going to be in my WhatsApp cheering, um, cheering that that little um, that that little run of of, of, of how we played. I, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. Um, I the only additional bit that I that I can add to that that you didn't cover off is the celebration for the goal. Yeah, Bill Saliba yes. up the front losing his shit. That doesn't look like the sort of player that isn't going to sign a new deal at Arsenal, right? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. I mean. For me, it's like everybody You know, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm a bigger Saliba fan than anybody else. But I would be devastated if this kid didn't play for Arsenal because I think he's perfect for us. I think he suits us. I think he suits our way of play. I think he suits the philosophy. He's an Arsenal boy through and through. And to see him happy playing in the shirt, I think is just something that Arsenal fans have been wanting to see for so, so long. And so we're getting it like we're it's it's so exciting to see. So I hope that the rumors of him already signing a new deal and it just needing to be announced are right. But I can't see at this point him wanting to leave because he's such a big part of what we're trying to do right now. And I mean, I don't know, like I just can't see a scenario where he'd want to go anywhere else because he's a big part of what we're trying to do. You know, and I think that's what players really want is to be a big part of something that's going upwards. And that's what he is. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. There's no better place for a young centre-back and no better system for a young centre-back like Saliba to be in. So hopefully he signs a, a new long-term deal. And I agree, he is he is well on the path to, to being world-class. But what I love um, most about, uh, you know, we've gone from having the worst defensive options in the league to possibly having the best options when you consider the potential. You know, yeah. we're not quite at Liverpool or Manchester City levels yet, but we won't be far off um, after this season. So I uh, I hope that he continues to, um, mm. try, you know, bl- blaze a trail uh, because I think the, at the end of the season, well, I- I'm hoping that he's going to be at the World Cup, to be perfectly honest. I was going to say at yeah, the end of the I'm season, sure he's going to he be in the World be. Cup. That'll be uh, November. But yeah, excellent performances. And he should not be doing that at 21 years old. It is outrageous. And I, I will say something controversial here. I think Mitrovic is one of the best strikers in the Premier League. I I don't think that you will come up against a more... uh, He's a beast. I don't think you will come up... uh, like He's probably one of the most aggressive strikers in the Premier League. Um, I think he's going to score a lot of goals uh, this season. And the idea that William Saliba at 21 years old can pocket him is like it it blows my mind. When when Mitrovic started today, I, I, I had flashbacks to Didier Drogba you know, mm. just like throwing out, throwing our defenders around like rag dolls. Um, but Saliba had the better of him today. I thought Ben White did a good job physically against him. But Mitrovic, if Mitrovic got a move to Chelsea, I wouldn't be surprised. I really think that he is a, a, a next level striker um, in, in the Premier League. And um, the fact that we've come out of that, you know, I know there were a few risky moments and obviously Mitrovic did score, but that wasn't because of bad defending at any point. Yeah, he, I mean, he was getting no change out of the defence. But I do think that there's people are starting to scout Arsenal a little bit more. And what I've noticed is that the striker, like, um, what was his name? The striker at Bournemouth. What was his name? The striker. Oh, I've, I've forgotten his name. So Kiefer Moore. Um, Kiefer Moore started on Saliba's side. And then when he realized he couldn't get the best of Saliba, he moved over to Gabrielle's side. Still didn't get anything, but... Mitrovic kind of stayed on Gabrielle's side. And I think that the league is starting to realize that if you're going to get something from one of them, it may be more Gabrielle. But I still think Gabrielle is like a beast. Like, had he had not made that mistake, you know, we wouldn't be talking about anything. So I think the league is starting to realize that that's not the one you want to go up against. And I think that's a huge coup for for Saliba because he really wasn't up against Mitrovic for me too much. I thought it was Gabrielle mostly one-on-one. I have to watch it back, but I really thought it was more him on that left-hand side trying to get the best out of Gabrielle. Yeah, and the, the other the other interesting point is the the goal that we conceded today was an error, and errors can be corrected in the system. Mm-hmm. It wasn't bad defending. I, I mean, it was technically bad defending, but you can correct unforced errors. Um, oh, there's, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. not there's not a structural issue in that defense. So. Um, it's a shame that we didn't get the clean sheet, but uh, like I, I'll take going a, a goal down and, and coming back. All right, let's um, let's move on to my favourite topic. Um, Eddie Kruger shows up in defenders' nightmares. 
You've got 30 <laughs> minutes today. You've got 30 minutes today. Um, I thought you did a I thought you did a brilliant job. Um, there are a few people that have said he's a little bit too similar to Gabby Jesus. I think he's a very different alike. player. Nothing alike. I like how yeah. he drops. I like the I like the way that Eddie drops deep. Um, I thought that he got into some great positions. His finishing was a little bit off, but you know he he hasn't had as many minutes as other people in the team. Uh, have you seen enough in general of Eddie and Ketia uh, to have an opinion on where you think his career is going? And what did you think of the cameo today? Yeah, so I'm fully on board with Eddie and Ketia. I think he he definitely won me over last season, you know, um, at the end of the season when he kind of proved that if he gets a run of games, he can do it. And, you know, the beginning of this season, especially like in preseason, I thought he was really good as well. And so for me, I'm fully on board with Eddie and Ketia. I think he has earned the right to be the second striker at Arsenal at the moment. In terms of being able to predict where his career is going, I don't know if I if I want to put anything specific out there, but I do think he's well above, you know, League One championship. He's well above that. Like he's definitely a Premier League striker. And I think there's some teams in the league that could do with an Eddie and Kedia starting for them, right? But Eddie is completely different than Gabriel Jesus. Being the same height does not mean you're the same type of striker. They have completely different characteristics. And I think bringing Eddie on made it so difficult for Fulham to to deal with us. And I think Arteta deserves a lot of credit for this because he didn't wait until the last 10 minutes. He did it with 30 minutes to go. That gave Eddie enough time to warm into the game and to have a couple of runs at them. And albeit, Eddie didn't need that because he stepped straight onto the pitch and made himself known. But I thought Arteta did a really good job doing it before the game was pretty much lost. And Eddie came straight on drop deep. He was, he's a lot stronger on the ball. He does a lot of the same stuff as Gabby Jesus in terms of like being able to box out players and, and win the ball when it's in the air and let it drop and then move, move away. But he's just has a nose for goal. And I think that he was just like maybe a second off of getting a goal. You know, he sniffs it, he knows it, he knows it's there. And so Eddie has really like rounded his game so much. And I still think people are analyzing Eddie from what they knew of Eddie when he first came into the team. And you need to update it. Eddie is completely different. He's more than capable of scoring goals for Arsenal. And I thought his cameo was was excellent because his cameo against Bournemouth was not great. It wasn't. I, I took note of that. I was like, okay, what's going on with Eddie? He doesn't look the same. He was brought in on the left, but today's cameo was so, so much better. And so for me, Eddie is has grown leaps and bounds. And I would like to see games of... Gabriel Jesus and Kedia playing up top together. I think that's something I do want to see at some point. I know it may not happen because Arteta is specific about his system, but I think it's something when those two are out there together, I do think we look really, really potent up top. I don't know what you think. Would you want to see like two up top or do you think you never yeah, see definitely. it? Yeah, or... th- definitely. And I think Arteta will do that at certain points this season. He's trying to build unpredictability um, into the system. He wants to be able to play lots of different ways. And I Gabby Jesus kind of alluded to, um, you know, looking forward to playing with Eddie. So I'm sure that they've got that up their sleeve um, at yeah. some point. I just want, and I also want to see some games where Jesus sits on the bench and Eddie's mm. given a run. Like we have to make sure that Jesus is as fit for as long as possible. And Arteta does have a tendency, uh, you know, like we've seen with Thomas Partey, Tinney, and Tommy Asu to overplay his favorites and yeah. then turn to the squad when he needs them rather than uh, turn to the squad when he doesn't and make them feel a little bit better. But I thought the performance was great. I think he'll be happy to get 30 minutes um, into his system. And I'm my prediction this season, he's going to score more goals than Richarlison. So, uh, he, you know, he's got, he's got to start scoring those, he's got to start putting those chances away. But yeah. the fact that he was, um, he was busy and he changed the energy of the game um, is a massive positive. All right. Yeah. So uh, two things before uh, before we wrap up. Look at that table. Look at that table. <sighs> 11 goals scored. Uh, we've conceded three, 12 points. The only team in the league to have won um, all four of their games so far. Uh, it's early, but what is... Um, what what do you make of being here? Like I think to I think before the game today, it was our best start in eighteen years. 
So, um, yeah. what do you what do you make of this position? What does it mean? Well, it's nice to see. I don't want to say like, of course, like if this was in May, I'd be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's still early days. <laughs> yeah. But what I think it it just signifies that Arsenal. There's, there's this misconception around us because of the way that we, our season finished is that we were poor and we weren't. We weren't poor last season. We won more games than Chelsea. We had so many good, like we had these patches that we would go through where we would win games in a row. We were, we had such good form, but what would happen is we'd run into a game or two where, you know, we didn't have the right mentality or we didn't have our perfect 11 or whatever. And we just dropped off. And so We'll have more of those runs now if we can make sure that when we go down a goal, we can still come back. And when we're missing players, we can still win games. And so this is not something that is un like this was not this was very predictable. If you knew Arsenal from last season, especially in our best form, because we were one of the only teams, I think, last season to win five games in a row last season. It's very difficult oh. to do regardless of who you're playing. It's hard to do. Only the good teams go on five-game winning streaks, and we did it last season. So I know once we get going, we can be a very good, informed team. It's just a matter of riding the rough patches, and I think this this had the potential of being a banana skin based on everything we've already talked about. So I think this is not something that I'm looking at that looks like foreign to me. I think what looks more foreign to me is the other teams that are not that are good, that are not quite up there with us, but this is Arsenal of last season. We, we, we won a lot of games. It's just a matter of minimizing the games that we lose. So I'm happy to see it. Um, two of the goals that we that are scored against us were of our own doing. You know, so we can put that in our back pocket. Like they've only scored one really goal on us, a really good goal on us this season, um, which was the Madison goal, I think. And I even think Ramsdale considers that a, a mistake on him. So mm -hmm. there's levels to go up window's still open we can still improve the squad it's not we're not quite done yet but this was such a, such a good win out of all four wins this is the best one because the narratives were so broken today and so i'm excited for the boys i'm happy for them and they can go to sleep and uh feel good about themselves because that was a excellent win today yeah i totally agree with all of that i think the the great thing about being top of the table after four games is that is quite a new squad of players that are, that are trying to work things out together. There are people playing in positions that they shouldn't be playing in and mm. they're winning games and winning games binds, um, binds players together. It builds culture and it builds confidence. If we can exit this phase of the season, which will be eight games by the time it's all finished up, if we can exit in the top three, um, who knows what's going to happen for the rest of the season, but at least we're not chasing the pack. All, like our goal, our objective is top four this season, and you need to be within spitting distance of top four to be ahead of that. Yep. When you exit September, um, would be absolutely massive, and to be anywhere near the top of the league uh, going into the Spurs game, the first game after the international break, would be massive. But I will feel a lot more confident about that game if the players are confident and if the football is still there and if the pressing is still there. But so far, so good, and this is. Uh, Chalk and cheese compared to uh, where we were last year. Yeah. Um, all right. Final topic. I know you're going to want to have an opinion on this. Last week of the transfer window. <laughs> there's there's uh, there's no financial fair play issues. We are compliant. That is nonsense. Um, there's some money to spend. The priority is a winger and maybe a midfielder. Jess, where are you spending that money? On a winger and a midfielder. <laughs> you go both. Go both. So, um, but like realistically, I believe we only get one. I think we get one player in. Um, and I think it's a winger. And so for me, like, I think what this game showed to me is that like, I think Martinelli and Saka are amazing. I really do. And I always have to preface this because there are darlings. One is a hail end. Hailender and the other one is is Gabriel Martinelli could do no wrong, but neither of them are one on one dual experts. You know, neither of them are really the types of players that, from a standing like a, a stop, like a stop position, can beat their man one on one, uh, not a consistent rate. And I think in this game we could have used a little bit of that, and so that's why I think we went after Rafinha, 
And I know people are worried about Saka and Martinelli. Well, what will happen if we bring in a player that could potentially start? What will happen is that their levels will need to go up. They're still young. You know, we should we still should not be relying upon them as much as we do. Rafinha is not no longer available, but Pedro Neto is supposed to be the priority. And one thing that he is really good at is one-on-one duels. Is he better than Saka and Martinelli overall? I don't think so. I think they're all about in the same ballpark. You know, I think they're all about on the same level. Right? They have different characteristics, but the foundations are pretty much the same. And I think in a better team, Pedro Neto could be what we need. So if I could spend it on one player, it'd probably be him. You know, I don't think we should go out of this window without bringing in another attacker, um, period. But that's where I'd spend the money. I don't necessarily think we'll get a midfielder. But I do think as the season goes on, we'll probably look at the midfield, um, that midfield area and think maybe we probably did need somebody else, but we just couldn't address it. I don't know. But maybe Vieira solves that. We still haven't seen him. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. What do you think? I would be putting my money on a midfielder. I've got to be honest. I, I, I've, it's a, it's a little bit baffling to me. I'm sure that there's a plan. I mean, we can at least trust nowadays that there is a plan um, for the midfield. But Tielemans just feels like a the sort of high, le- you know, top level signing that would really be additive and useful mm-hmm. in you know Tielemans in a game like today would have been useful. Um, but I know the priority is a winger. I know they want to spend a bit of money on it. I think Pedro Neto is exciting. Um, 22 years old, extremely high ceiling, power pace, you know, one-on-one capabilities for sure. I thought the rumor today about Asensio of Madrid was interesting. And the only reason that I find that even uh, uh, remotely believable is because he's got 11 months left on his deal. So there is a deal to be had with Madrid. Madrid don't want to let players go on a free transfer. And... um, He's with Mendes as, a, as an agent. So it might be you can't have Pedro Neto, but maybe you can have Asensio. He's 26 years old. He's high quality. He's won everything. Uh, so uh, that's that little bit of extra special source that you need. So I, I think it'll be I'll a winner. Say, the one thing I'll say about Asensio is that, one, if you could get Asensio, but also bring in Tielemans, I would choose that over Pedro Neto just by himself. You know, I still feel like we do need a midfielder. I just don't think it'll come in. But in terms of like Asensio, like I know some people are not loving that. But similarly to like Gabriel Jesus, there are players that don't always start for top, top teams that do improve our starting 11 or improve our starters, you know, that starting group. And I think Asensio does have quality. You know, I think he has injury issues, but I think he has quality. So at the the fee that's being quoted for him, I would take him. He's definitely not the one-on-one dual expert that we need, but does he add quality to the squad, add goals to the squad? Does he bring up the levels? Absolutely. So I would take that, and that could potentially open up the door to bring in Tielemans as well because Pedro Neto is going to cost 50 You know, I feel like that's going to be all the money that's left, you know. So, yeah, I'd love to see two players in, but if we just got one, I think I could live with it, you know. I probably still will be saying on my channel, like, why don't we get a midfielder? But, you know, I'll live with it, I guess. I'll, there has to be something that I have to cry about, right? Something yeah. I have to be... Yeah, can't, can't let Arsenal think that they're, they're having too much of a good summer. But the, <laughs> exactly. good, thing is, the good thing is that we're not stressed going oh, no. into the exit in this window. And sometimes, back in the Wenger days, we'd, we'd win our opening games. We'd be very high up in the league. And it wasn't, oh, great, we've got the squad. It would be oh no, Arsene Wenger thinks we've got the squad. I feel like everybody believes that we've got a really good squad as is, but the special source, the X factor that we're, that we're lacking in certain positions, if we added, then it would just help us um, you know, reach our goals a little bit quicker this season. Yeah, 100%. Definitely need some additions. Arteta's kind of made that very clear as well. I see people like, oh, Arteta, you know, be his fault if we don't bring anybody in. He's kind of like said it like in so many different ways that we're short. So it wouldn't be on Arteta, right? He wants an additional player, but we'll see how things play out. But ultimately, like winning games and we're looking good and we still have Vieira to look forward to. And I have this weird feeling that he's going to be exceptional. So, yeah, you are 100% right. All right. um, We do something called the AOP AOB. This week, it's going to be where can people uh, find you? Because uh, you've been getting... Many, many compliments in the comments. Everybody's absolutely loving 
uh, your analysis. I have too. It's been excellent having you on the show. Thank you. Yeah, you guys, you can just, um, again, like on YouTube, just type in Shino's Arsenal and I will pop up. My channel will pop up. Um, I usually do like a pre-recorded hits and misses right after games and then a longer form breakdown a couple of days after. So you guys can look forward to that. Subscribe. You know, it's completely free, whatever, you know, like the videos and all that. And then I'm on Twitter tweeting constantly some things that should be deleted later. But yeah, I'm on Twitter at Justino Tweets. You can find me there as well. And yeah, look forward to seeing some of you guys in the future on future streams here and future streams on my channel. So yeah, this is great. Thank you. Awesome. Well, uh, everybody's enjoyed having you on the show. We're definitely going to ask to have you back at some point. Congratulations on all the success with your awesome YouTube you. channel and uh, overall presence online. If you are listening to this on your podcast and you haven't given us a five-star review, jump in. Give us a five-star review. Someone called me the Igor Stepanovs of podcasts the other day. That sort of talk is absolutely unacceptable. Five-star reviews or don't bother. Um, if you want to get onto the Patreon, go to patreon.com and search the Arsenal Opinion Podcast. But on that note, it's been a fantastic, exciting, uh, emotional, yet analytical uh, after the whistle uh, podcast mm -hmm. or on the whistle podcast I'm getting the name of the podcast wrong um, so on that note I will say thank you and uh, ciao for now thanks Jess bye sports social podcast network it's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.